From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, media outlets are reporting that Democratic leaders are privately expecting at least a half dozen defections on next week's vote to impeach President Donald Trump, even as many of their most endangered lawmakers remain publicly quiet on their decision. In just a moment, I'll talk with Congressman Jody Heiss, of Georgia. Also, the White House uh, hosting a summit today on uh, child care and paid, pa- uh, paid family leave. I'll talk with Jessica Ditto, uh, Deputy Assistant to the President and Deputy Director of White House Communications. And four congressmen sent a letter to the Attorney General, William Barr, asking him to prosecute obscene pornography. That's something that hasn't been touched in quite some time, and as a result, it has proliferated. Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, the lead signer, will join me later here on Washington Watch. Then I'll talk about the devastating effects of pornography on families and communities, which is why we should be concerned, and what the church should be doing. Josh McDowell, founder of Josh McDowell Ministries, is here for that discussion. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. And by the way, as we approach the end of the year, the battle for America's future is far from over. In fact, I was in the White House today, met with the president, had an opportunity to pray with the president. Uh, and I'm telling you, we are we're making tremendous progress. But as I, I shared in, in the White House, the the intensity of the opposition is an indicator of the significance of the mission. And what we see happening in America, the intensity of the opposition, tells us we're on the right track. And if you'd like to stand with FRC as we continue to advance faith, family, and freedom in 2020, uh, we've got a generous, uh, some generous partners that have put forth a year-end challenge match. And if you would like to partner with us, everything you give today will be doubled So give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or visit TonyPerkins.com. We've got folks standing by to take your call. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, media outlets are reporting that Democratic leaders are privately expecting at least a half dozen defections on next week's vote to impeach President Donald Trump. Now, There's probably going to be even more as more and more of these um, new members that are in swing districts that were successful in knocking off uh, Republicans in the last election cycle are being forced to vote for impeachment. Now, just hours before the Judiciary Committee meets to mark up articles of impeachment, battleground Democrats say they are still uh, deliberating on what will be the the biggest vote of their brief congressional careers. Joining me now with uh, his analysis is Congressman Jody Heiss. He represents the 10th Congressional District of the state of Georgia. He serves on the Oversight and Reform Committee as well as the Natural Resources Committee. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to be on with you, Tony. Thanks. Uh, uh, Jody, I've been around long enough to look back at the 20. 20- uh, 2009 vote for Obamacare. That's when Nancy Pelosi was first Speaker of the House. And I remember actually having dinner one night across the table, private dinner with a uh, blue dog Democrat. There's not many of those left. And I said, doesn't Nancy Pelosi realize what she's doing here, uh, that uh, you guys are going to lose the majority? And his response was, yes, but they'll fundamentally change the country. Uh, here we are now 10 years later, a very similar vote. Nancy 
Pelosi pushing her members in vulnerable districts to vote for an impeachment, which increasingly the polls tell us is not popular with the American people. Well, you're exactly right, Tony. And, you know, when you referenced a moment ago some of these Democrats making the most difficult vote of their short career, uh, you know, this kind of vote will make their career short for many of them. Uh, there's no question about that. They're, uh, the, the only problem with this whole push towards impeachment is lack of evidence. There is absolutely zero evidence that the president has engaged in any wrongdoing whatsoever. Yet, in spite of that, the Democrats continue to push for it. And, you know, I can just tell you, I just came off the floor with a series of votes. And the other side of the aisle, my Democratic colleagues are filled with forlorn looks on their faces. I'll just tell you, they they realize that I was on a, a, a television interview uh, earlier today, and the uh, folks that were interviewing me said their count now is between 11 and 12, as they understand Democrats who are uh, possible, probable no's on this thing. So the numbers continue to increase. And, uh, you know, as, they, as the Democrats become aware that there is no evidence this has been a hoax from the very beginning, from the day the president was inaugurated, Democrats were pushing for his impeachment. Uh, this is, uh, has been a total sham. It's lacked the justice for something of this nature. Uh, and it, and addition, the polls uh, show clearly the American people don't want this. And for Nancy Pelosi to continue to ask her colleagues to walk the plank, it, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. You know, Congressman, I, I, I understood what they were doing with Obamacare, and they were successful in fundamentally changing the country. Look at our health care system 10 years later. It's, it's in shambles because of Obamacare. Obamacare is still in place because of one vote. The late John McCain did not uh, vote to repeal and replace as uh, was pushed through the House. The opportunity we had was lost. I, I, I am hard-pressed to see what Nancy Pelosi has to gain here other than damaging the foundation of our republic with flimsy uh, impeachment processes, which could uh, you know, lower the bar for future challenges, only making our republic more fragile. They're not going to convict the president in the, in the Senate. This is not, from, from everything I can see, this is not going to benefit them in election. To the contrary... I think for the first time, um, and, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not given to hyperbole, and I'm not uh, one to exaggerate, but I think this could put the House within reach of the Republicans taking back the majority. I totally agree with you, and you know, our founders gave us a tool of impeachment in the event that a president was actually engaged in activities like treason or bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And yet what Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler have done, along with the radical wing of the Democratic Party, is weaponize the tool of impeachment for political purposes. They are literally marching down the path of impeachment solely because they don't like this president, they don't like his policies. And as you and I both know, that in itself is not an impeachable offense. They are trying to disenfranchise the votes of 63 million Americans simply because they don't like the president. And I totally agree with you that this has every potential of backfiring to the point of potentially putting Republicans back in the majority. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It is an uphill climb for us to regain the majority right now. But certainly the Democrats are paving the path for that possibility to become a reality. 
I would think that, um, and I don't know, I'll ask you in conversations across the aisle with your Democratic colleagues, not that a whole lot has been co- accomplished in this Congress. I mean, I, I think part of that, of the passage of the UCMA, uh, this trade uh, deal, was to be able to have some legislative success because everything has been overshadowed by investigation, investigation, impeachment, impeachment. They're going to have very little to run on uh, in this upcoming election. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, it has been shameful how they have run this impeachment inquiry with such unfairness and uh, uh, disregard for the rules and procedure. And what they have uh, literally dragged our country through is shameful. But at the same time, it's shameful what they have not done. And that is to legislate. Uh, And if it were not for this week and possibly next week, they would have gone gone through the entire year without a single major piece of legislation being passed. But as you referenced, we have USMCA that finally did pass. We also passed this week NDAA to fund the military. Um, So finally, there are a couple of pieces of significant legislation that at least is passing the House but it's coming literally at the 11th hour in this session of, of the 116th Congress. And uh, otherwise, literally, they've accomplished nothing. And for the president to tag them as the do-nothing Dems has been a very accurate description. Now, there are about, I think, 31 House Democrats that are in pro-Trump districts. This, in- this includes 22 freshmen who uh, I think are really feeling the uh, some intense anxiety within the caucus over this impeachment drive. If my math is correct, I mean, there's 233 Democrats in the House. Is that correct? Is that the right I number? I think that's right, and I believe 199 Republicans are right. in that ballpark. So they've got to, to advance these articles of impeachment. They have to have 218 votes. Right. Uh, so they really they don't have a lot to work with. They don't have a lot to work with. You know, I, there's still a part of me, Tony, and I, I certainly hope I'm wrong. But there's a part of me that believes that they will be able to pass it with 218. But it's going to be a whole lot closer than what Speaker Pelosi wishes uh, that it would be. But I, I say what I say because she is a master at getting the votes when she needs them. And I cannot imagine her bringing this to the floor if she doesn't believe she has the votes to get there. Uh, Again, I hope I'm wrong with that because it's um, totally unjustified. The president has done nothing worthy of impeachment, and that is the exact reason why the American people are going to rebel against the the Democrats as they continue to push this. But uh, you are exactly right. There's very, very little wiggle room for the Democrats, and with every passing day that goes uh, though that uh, wiggle room gets even smaller. I mean, 15, they got 15 votes to play with. And as I said, 30, uh, 31 districts uh, in which are, are pro-Trump districts. And you know, I've been around politics long enough, Jody, to know that for many, not all, not all. I want to be very clear. We've got some really good principled men and women who are serving in office for the right reasons. But uh, for many, self-preservation is the top priority. And well, there's no question with that, Tony. And I remember the first week I was here, that in orientation, that was the number one uh, emphasis that was placed on us as new freshmen, that our number one responsibility was to get reelected. 
And, you know, I just kind of resist that kind of thinking. The, the number one responsibility uh, from, a, from my perspective is to do the best I can to represent our, our Christian values and stand for the principles I believe in uh, spiritually. But secondly, to represent our, our Constitution in our various districts, and whether that leads to being reelected or not is not the point. But that is the emphasis that's placed upon members as they come here, I'm sure, on both sides of the aisle. So you can even now feel the anxiety and the tension that builds as we move toward that impeachment vote for those that are that reside and represent pro-Trump districts. Absolutely. It is intense. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can see it on the faces of the Democrats. There is um, uh, there, there's just agony uh, in the expressions of some. And, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out. I just hope that they will stand for that which is right and true. Uh, But we'll see. Um, There's no question there is an enormous amount of pressure being placed on them. All right. Uh, Jody Heiss, as always, great to have you on the program, my friend. Good to talk with you. Likewise, Tony. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia. Find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, when we return, uh, we're going to talk about a topic we touched on yesterday at the White House today, a summit, a child care summit, talking about paid family leave. Uh, I actually was not able to be in the summit because I was at another meeting at the White House, uh, which included the, uh, the president. Uh, but I'll talk with Jessica Ditto. Deputy Assistant to the President next about efforts to uh, to advance a pro-family policy. That's next year on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Abortion is one of the most combative and sensitive moral and political questions in America today, even among Christians. There has been a renewed effort in theological liberal Christian circles to argue that the Bible does not oppose abortion. In light of these arguments, it is crucial for Christians to know what the Bible actually says about abortion. Does the Bible teach that life begins at conception or birth? Is abortion murder? In FRC's new publication titled, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, Personhood, Scripture, and Church History, author David Clausen addresses these questions with relevant passages in the Bible that inform how a Christian should think about abortion, the question of personhood, and a survey of how prominent church leaders have interpreted these passages throughout history. Learn more by visiting frc.org slash unborn. That's frc.org slash unborn. Meadow Pollock was a high school senior who was tragically gunned down during the Parkland school shooting in Florida. In an emotional and gripping FRC speaker series event, her father, Andrew Pollock, and education expert Max Eden discussed the tragic massacre and the politically correct policies that allowed the Parkland shooting to happen. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Obama administration promoted a false narrative that teachers and principals were racist and couldn't be trusted to enforce rules with consequences. Instead, they argued for healing circles and restorative justice. These policies enabled a psychopathic criminal to maintain a clean background and purchase a firearm used to murder 17 people at the high school. The Obama administration forced these leniency policies into hundreds of schools, serving millions of students across America. To listen to this event and to learn more, visit frc.org speakers. That's frc.org speakers. 
Religious liberty is one of the most... Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the White House held a summit on child care and paid leave today, an issue that the first daughter and senior presidential advisor Ivanka Trump has carried the torch on since uh, President Trump took office. I've met with her, discussed it. I was not able to be at the uh, the summit today. I was actually at the White House, but in a meeting with the president on another uh, topic. Uh, but today, Ivanka said that the reform principles are focused on getting child care choices back to parents, saying, quote, at the heart of our reforms is democratizing choice and control and giving it back to parents where it belongs. Joining me now to discuss what happened is Jessica Ditto. She is deputy assistant to the president and deputy director of the White House Communications. Jessica, welcome back for I think you're one of the first to be two days in a row on Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Tony. I like uh, the sound of that. Um, this has been a very busy week, so we have a lot to share, and really appreciate you giving us the opportunity. Well, it's good. It's good news, and, uh, and there's a lot to share because you guys are uh, doing a lot of stuff. It's been a very busy week. I was glad we were able to talk about the executive order uh, combating anti-Semitism yesterday, a very important issue. Uh, but I want to turn now today and devote this segment to the f- paid family leave, which has been a, a, a big issue for Ivanka. Trump. Why has this been such an important issue for her? It's a, it's actually a presidential priority, and it's something that the president uh, outlined in his campaign and during the primary as a priority to help working families. He wanted to uh, make clear and distinguish himself as a conservative, as someone who is fighting for families and protecting family values through the support of what is usually a fairly left-wing policy. And over the last uh, past couple years, we've seen a lot of progress moving in the direction of consensus and compromise and bipartisan uh, collaboration on a national strategy to ensure that families, uh, adoptive parents and uh, parents of uh, newborns have the opportunity to bond and spend time with their child at home, both mom and dad, and uh, foster that relationship without the fear of losing their job or um, income. And so this is something that we really want to make sure uh, is led by the private sector, but a national strategy is pushed forward that will ensure that no one, especially the most vulnerable, are not left behind. And we're making tremendous progress because Ivanka is a strong advocate for this White House and has relationships with members of Congress, trusted relationships across both sides of the aisle, and she puts her head down and focuses on getting things done, while a lot of politicians just come to Washington and talk and uh, virtue signal, but they don't actually get things done. So this administration today, we held this summit, it had uh, government Governors, members of Congress, lawmakers, advocates, private sector CEOs, as well as parents. And the president hosted this at the White House to showcase just how important this is to our working families agenda. And during the conference, they released child care principles to really focus on what our policy priorities are to ensure that there are reforms in our system that ensure that people have access to affordable, high-quality child care everywhere, and that paid leave becomes a priority that gets through Congress um, and, and enables folks in the private sector and small business and everyone to participate in a, fa- a 
paid leave program that works for them. As we said, or I believe yesterday, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, historically included paid leave for federal workers. So, President, as the chief executive officer of this country and the one who is uh, managing the largest employee base in the country, is leading by example by pushing for this support for paid leave for federal workers. And now we're pushing for a bipartisan solution through Congress to help all Americans have access to this crucial benefit. And I know there's there are some legislative instruments out there dealing with it. There's still kind of works in the process. Uh, I, I think today, if I'm not mistaken, was focused more on the principles. Uh, but maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know if there was a particular piece of legislation put forward or if we're at that point Certainly. yet are still talking about principles. You're absolutely right. There's um, the president uh, has leaned in uh, on both sides of child care and put forward policy proposals on certain aspects. Um, we did include paid leave and the, as he said, the Republican Tax Cuts and Jobs Act because no Democrats voted for it, even though it did include historic tax reforms such as doubling the child tax credit, benefiting nearly 40 million American families with an average of over $2,200 just in 20. But then also paid leave was included for the first time in that historic tax reform bill. So we've been able to get some legislation through. Now, in terms of a national plan that benefits uh, workers in the private sector and public sector, we have seen for the first time in just the last two weeks the first bipartisan, bicameral piece of legislation get promoted and and, uh, released by uh, Representative uh, Elise Stefani and Senators Cassidy and Senator uh, Sinema. So it's bipartisan. They're looking for support, and the White House is cheering them on. We are not getting into the specific policy and endorsing one piece of legislation because we want to see Congress do its job and find the right consensus point based on everyone's perspectives, but do it in a good faith and aggressive pace. So in terms of the principles that we released today, Health and Human Services helped craft this comprehensive view of what we need to do to improve child care across our nation, make it more accessible, affordable, high quality for everyone in America, especially the most vulnerable families, the moms who are working two jobs and can't afford the child care that their child is in. Um, We want to make sure that we are uh, creating new opportunities, working at the local level, finding the best practices, and investing in the solutions that work. And the president has done that, but the principles and policies will help push this conversation along. Now, Jessica, I know from this administration that uh, it, there is a, a big focus on the private sector doing their part. Uh, right. you, know, you mentioned several times that uh, this is a left-leaning program. I mean, the, the left looks at these issues so often. Uh, but we're not talking about more government programs and money. No. Uh, that's not for solutions. The, right, right. Exactly. And the private right. sector needs to do its part. All right, Jessica, you know what that music means. You've been here enough. You know that that means we're we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tony. All right. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Jessica Ditto from the White House. All right. When we come back, uh, four members of Congress have written to the Attorney General asking uh, Attorney General William Barr to prosecute obscene pornography. Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, the lead signer, joins us to explain why next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. I hope you are having a wonderful Christmas season. I tell you what, it is a, it, it's still amazing to me we're already at Christmas again. I mean, I love this time of year. I just don't have enough time to enjoy it. But, uh, by the way, we've got folks standing by. If you'd like to partner with FRC, uh, they are standing by to take your phone call. Uh, give us a call, 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight. It's eight hundred two two five four zero zero eight to uh, have your partnership gift doubled uh, from uh, a generous match that's been put forth, challenge match by uh, some of our generous donors. Again, just give us a call or go to TonyPerkins dot com. All right. In a December 6th letter to Attorney General William Barr, four members of Congress have asked him to begin prosecuting obscene pornography with obscenity laws that are already on the books. Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina, Brian Babin of Texas, and Vicki Hartzler of Missouri all signed the letter and explained the harms that widespread pornography use has on society. Joining me now uh, to discuss why he's leading this effort is Congressman Jim Banks. He represents the 3rd District of Indiana, serves on the Armed Services Committee, the Education and Labor Committee, and the Veterans Affairs Committee. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, good to be with you. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. And be back on the show. Well, thanks so much for uh, for taking time out to join us this afternoon. But thanks for bringing attention to something that really hasn't gotten much attention from the uh, from attorney generals in recent years. And with the internet, you point this out in your letter. With the internet evolving technologies, it's fueling an explosion of obscene pornography. Now, there's a difference between obscenity and pornography. You pointed out, and the laws govern. Uh, governing obscenity are not being enforced today. Yeah, that, that's right, Tony. There are political issues that we deal with on Capitol Hill that um, you know I work on every day that that are important. But then there are political issues that are personal, and this is a very personal issue because, as you know, I, I have three daughters. They're age ten and under, and they're constantly in front of a screen and on the internet watching. YouTube videos. And as much as my wife and I try to police the amount of time they are in front of a screen, uh, we find that they're sometimes we just can't uh, we can't stop it. That's just a part of the era that we're in. And I'm often horrified when I read stories or see statistics about the prevalence of obscene pornography that's that's so readily available that our kids, even at a young age, are exposed to and. Uh, that, that's why I led this letter. I was uh, glad to have three uh, uh, good friends in the Congress, as you mentioned, Hartzler, Meadows, and Babin, that signed on uh, to this letter uh, with me to Attorney General Barr. But the reason that we did is because, as a candidate, uh, President Trump signed a pledge to enforce obscenity laws. And now, all of a sudden, we have an Attorney General and Attorney General Barr who is very familiar with these issues, because when he was the attorney general under George H.W. Bush, uh, he was very successful as attorney general back then in prosecuting uh, offenders of obscenity laws and especially related to child pornography. So that, that's the uh, that's the heart of the letter, the motivation for it. Uh, my hope is that President Trump will deliver on yet another of his campaign pledges uh, to uh, uh, uh 
make this a, a key priority of his uh, Department of Justice. Yeah, you know what? I maybe I just forgot, but I I, do, I did not recall that the president had signed that until I saw that in the letter that you sent to the uh, Attorney General. Now, a lot of Americans, uh, Congressman, are under the impression that virtually all pornography is legal that it's allowable but that's that's not the case there are clear laws that uh, say certain types of material is in fact illegal the problem has been the laws have not been enforced that that's uh, absolutely true tony and and uh, it's one of the reasons that um you look, you look at all, the, all of these statistics uh today i mean it's not it's not a coincidence that as obscenity laws have gone unenforced, while 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 at the same time we see online uh, pornography consumption uh, has substantially increased, and so too has violence toward women at the same time. So, but the distinction here is true. I mean, we're not uh, there's there's pornography, and then there's obscene pornography, and that, that's what we're asking uh, Attorney General Barr to take uh, make make more of a focus. Uh, once again, and use some of the tools that are readily available to him uh, to, to go after these issues. So uh, Attorney General Barr can declare the prosecution of obscene pornography as a criminal justice priority. He hasn't done that yet. I'm, I'm not I'm not attacking him or the administration. He's new to the job, and he has a lot of other issues on his plate, like this uh, impeachment fiasco and sham that's going on as well. But he can direct the U.S. attorneys to investigate and bring prosecutions against the major producers and distributors of obscene pornography, just like he did under President George H.W. Bush. And that's what we're hoping that our letter will motivate him to do. Now, uh, Congressman Banks, we're, we're up against the breaks, so we're out of time, but I, I do want to get you back on uh, as we see movement from the attorney general's office, because juxtaposing to when he was attorney general before, under the first President Bush, Technology has changed the, the kind of the, the landscape significantly. It's going to be a little harder to, uh, to, to crack down on this than it was uh, back then. But we'll talk about that um, another time. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to continue our conversation about the, the devastating effects of pornography and why you should be concerned. Josh McDowell joins us next. Don't go away. News. We can get it from many sources, but what can you trust these days? Where can you get news that doesn't make you as suspicious as you are informed? If you're looking for something better, for honest coverage of the latest news, one trusted news source I look to is the Washington Times. When preparing for the radio program and selecting guests to join me on the show, I will often read the Washington Times and have their reporters join me here on the program because I trust how they cover the news. Join me and more than 7 million readers who turn to the Washington Times every month to get real, trusted news. For a limited time only, listeners of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins will receive a special annual rate of $69.95 for the first year. Subscribe to the Washington Times and get this special offer by using my name and visiting WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins. That's WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins. 
medical abortion laws in New York, Illinois, and Vermont are challenging the sanctity of life. These laws have lifted the few existing restrictions on abortion in the name of family planning and mental health of pregnant mothers. Americans need to take a stand and defend the rights of the unborn. Family Research Council is sending Congress 90,000 baby hats as a reminder that babies should be welcomed with love and warmth, not potential danger. Supporters have already funded over 45,000 hats. We are over halfway there. Join Americans across the nation and donate $9 to send a powerful reminder that young lives need to be cherished. When you take action, we'll send you an end birthday abortion certificate that will remind you to pray for born alive babies who are facing the danger of being killed outside the womb. Visit endbirthdayabortion.com for more information. That's endbirthdayabortion.com. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research. A lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten, listening once again with candy canes and silver lanes aglow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Just love to hear that music. It's Christmas time. And I hope you're enjoying the preparations as we move closer to Christmas. I'm hoping that we're able to shut things down here in Washington in time to go home and uh, enjoy Christmas. But we'll see. We'll see how long they stay in town. But as we approach the end of the year, the battle for America's future, as I said earlier, is far from over. And I just want to ask you to to partner with FRC so that we can continue to make a difference together in 2020. And uh, when you give before December the 31st, your gift will be doubled thanks to a generous year-end challenge match. So help us advance faith, family, and freedom for the sake of America and America's future to donate uh, give us a call, 800-225-4008. We've got folks standing by to take your phone call right now. That's 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com, and uh, you can do that online. Well, as we were discussing in our previous segment with Congressman Jim Banks, there are members of Congress calling upon the U.S. Attorney General to start prosecuting obscene pornography under existing laws. Now, in their letter to the Attorney General, the members of Congress pointed out that the enforcement of vicinity laws uh, was stopped by the Obama administration when then-Attorney General Eric Holder disbanded the obscenity prosecution task force. Now, that was in spite of the fact that with the Internet, there was a proliferation of pornography, but yet they disbanded the Obscenity Prosecution Task Force. Now, there is a distinction between pornography. Not all pornography is uh, illegal, uh, but when we get into obscenity, that there is a, a clear definition of that in, in, in what is mostly focused upon in these prosecution task force is that which leads to um, human trafficking, and exploitation, primarily focusing on children. Now, the problem has only proliferated with 16 states now in the last few years declaring pornography a public health crisis. They've literally passed resolutions through their state legislatures saying that pornography is a public health crisis. In fact, in the Republican Party platform, I 
work to put that language in there that the Republican Party and their platform acknowledges that pornography is a public health crisis. Now, obviously, enforcing the laws that prevent the exploitation and victimization of women and children is essential. But there's more. There is personal responsibility. And um, I was hoping, and I think he's traveling out of the country, and so, but we had uh, connected earlier with Josh McDowell, who's done some remarkable work in this area. He's uh, extensive research, uh, which is uh, really points to the significance of the problem. He's, he's actually uh, traveling, as I said, out of the country. He was going to connect, so we're trying to get him on the line. But I, I wanted to address this pornography at the personal level. Why? has pornography um, become a problem for so many people? You know, what are the most common myths about pornography? And, and, and what is it, why is it Christians uh, are struggling? And what, what do they do um, with those who are struggling with it? I mean, it's far more pervasive, a far more pervasive problem than you might think. 79% of men and 76% of women ages 18 through 30 view pornography at least once a month. Now, this is according to extensive study that Josh McDowell did. 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography. Listen to this. 57% of pastors admit they struggle with porn. 60-72% of men and 24 to 30% of women in the church Listen, our sex addicts, we're talking about the church. Most shockingly, the pornography epidemic is now the root cause of 56% of divorces. It's a major problem. If we get Josh, we're going to bring him in, but um, I'm going to bring in Travis Weber, who's vice president of policy and our government affairs. And this is actually an area that FRC uh, has been focusing on in the last couple of years. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Now, this is a problem, and it's a, I mean, it's a personal problem, a personal issue with people who are addicted to porn, but it becomes a societal problem because of the behaviors that pornography fuels. Tony, indeed, I mean, you know, just thinking about everything we fight for here at FRC every day, uh, the family being in the name of our organization, the impact on the family of this, um, uh, of this problem uh, cannot be overstated. I mean, you cited some of the numbers. I think the problem is bigger than we recognize. It's bigger than the numbers tell us. This is something as Christians we need to uh, uh, let our voice be heard because God tells us how uh, we are to view the family and sexuality. And, and the pornography proliferation in our society today is a way which this has gone haywire. So as Christians, we speak into this issue. Uh, we let our, our worldview reflect into this issue, and we speak out for uh, the public good on this issue. I mean, states are declaring it to be a public health hazard. We should uh, work to mitigate the harmful effects of this by calling attention to the reality and the fat and the facts on this. Uh, our own Patrina Mosley has testified in Maryland on that state's uh, uh, decision to to declare a it was a resolution that would seek to declare it a public health hazard in Maryland. And in her testimony, she cited the fact that. Um, that uh, we had um, uh, 50 popular pornographic videos in the United States, a study of them or overview of them found that 88% of the scenes contain physical violence. This, this 
phenomena, this this horrible um, uh, wave of, of this stuff sweeping our country, it's just it's it's so aggressive and extreme in its nature. And that's just one stat about the violence in these. And it's it's not stopping there. Yeah. You know what? The irony here, if, if I can call it that, you know, you got the hashtag Me Too movement that has essentially given a green light to, you know, pornography and, and, and the explicit material that we see on TV and elsewhere. Uh, but then the effect of it, what it leads to, to the um, uh, reducing women to, you know, commodities, to abusing of children, to violence, as you pointed out, I mean, th- there is a connection. And I think increasingly with the proliferation of pornography, the evidence is overwhelming that there is a correlation, there is a connection. There is, Tony. And and we've written about this on our website. Um, Listeners can find publications linking pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion. And um, we've talked about the connection between all of these very tragic and horrible um, uh, issues that impact women and um, they're all linked the, the nexus is the is the um, the commercial sex industry just recently Petrino was also testifying against prostitution legalization in DC prostitution sex trafficking abortion pornography because when women are trafficked they're often used to force into these situations and and, and treated uh, you've been tra- treated like objects, trafficked around to produce and, uh, this this material that satisfies and and fills the demand for this pornography throughout our society. So, certainly a link between a lot of the issues that we see here at FRC day to day. Yeah, I, and I and I want to kind of bring this in a little to the uh, you know to the ground level here in our final few m- minutes together. We do work on it from a policy standpoint because the proliferation of it does have consequences for the community. It leads to, as we said, child exploitation, human trafficking, all of those evils that we fight. So we're going to continue to do that. And and I've met with previous attorney generals encouraging them to do that, and I I have not talked to uh, Attorney General General William Barr about this, but I I plan on it, and I'm, I'm sure that this administration, if any, will be aggressive in upholding the law on this front. That said, there are listeners, no doubt, based upon the statistics who are listening to this program today that have issues with pornography. And and we need to take personal responsibility for what we are doing. And, and, and again, I'm, I did, those statistics that I cited are just within the church. I mean, that's not the world. That's the church. And if the church, and this is one of the reasons we're doing our men's conferences, the Stand Courageous conferences, we see this as one of the number one issues that is sidelining men when it comes to being the spiritual heads of their home or being men that represent biblical masculinity. Uh, And so the first step is to acknowledge you have a problem. And what we have found is pornography is, is usually not the problem. It's a, it's a symptom. You know, pornography, 98% of the time, is a surface coping mechanism for a deeper hurt, usually a relational issue in that person's life, how, uh, like, they might be lonely, and so they seek out pornography to escape that loneliness. Or maybe they're feeling insignificant, and so they, uh, they find someone to love in pornography. 
we're often told, Travis, that this is a victimless activity, that it doesn't hurt anyone. The reality is it does. Uh, it leads to uh, further addictions. It leads, as we've talked about, to exploitation. And quite frankly, it robs people. There's been so many secular articles written in the last couple of years about young people who have grown up on pornography can no longer engage in what God created to be a, a remarkable relationship with a husband or a wife. They, they, can, they can't do it because of the exposure to pornography. Tony, I think, you know, as you're pointing out, um, th- this reminds us of the spiritual, the, the, the root spiritual nature of, of this problem, ultimately. Um, you know, being a Christian myself, called FRC, work here, I think, you know, dealing with, with issues like this, Christians, we ultimately need to remember the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, obedience to the Word of God, and uh, openness with fellow Christians. Yeah. We need to engage in Christian community at, this, at the, the, this, the granular level, small groups, one, two, three, four men getting together, right. discussing this issue amongst themselves honestly. Uh, that, that shines a light on the spiritual corruption, which is in all of our hearts. I mean, we know that all have gone astray. Jesus is the only way, the only way to salvation, the only hope for us. And on this earth, we're being purified. So Christians, as you note, the issue in the church, we need to, this and other sins, be honest with one another, be humble, which means just admitting, admitting things, admitting the truth, seeking the, the power of Christ in our lives. That, that is essential to what you just touched on, Travis, is that, A, we do have to acknowledge we have a problem, but that's not enough. I mean, we, we need to repent of it, but you, you cannot go it alone. The, the, the tentacles of pornography are too strong. Uh, they, they wrap around the heart and the mind and the soul of a man, of a woman, and will not let them go. You have to walk with others to break free of the bonds of pornography. And so that accountability group is, uh, or individually, it could be one other person. In fact, you know, you got to be very careful in seeking out an accountability partner, but there's some great tools out there uh, that are available to help uh, break free of this addiction. And, and, and unfortunately, most churches, um, I think according to the statistics that Josh has, uh, 93% of all evangelical churches around the world have nothing to help a person addicted to pornography. And that's with half their congregation addicted to it. So it's important to find someone you can trust, confide in them, you know, confess and walk with them uh, into freedom from uh, pornography. Tony, everything you were talking about is key to um, walking in spiritual power and spiritual victory. And ultimately, as the world grows darker in in many ways, um, we see all the issues we face here in America to confront them well, we have to first make things right in our own lives. We have to be right with the Lord. We have to be walking in obedience to the Lord. Um, and we have to be walking in humility with him and um, seeking his power in our own lives as we then help others and shed the light on the issue for others and bring them to the Lord, which ultimately is a matter of spiritual reconciliation for people. Yeah, I think pornography is probably the main issue that ties Christian men up 
and sidelines them from being used by God in his kingdom. It, it ties us up to where we're not effective in our families. It ties us up where we're not effective in the kingdom in terms of sharing the gospel. I mean, you know, every time you would go to share the gospel, you, you're, the devil uses that, Satan uses that to say, well, you're not worthy. Look at what you are, are doing. It, it prevents us from speaking truth because we're convicted of our own sin. We judge ourselves so that we be not judged, and it's time to deal with this. And again, uh, as mentioned earlier, Travis, that stand courageous, our men's events, this is one of the areas we focus on with the men. And and, and we've got uh, come some of those events coming up just around the corner uh, in my hometown of Baton Rouge, Jefferson Baptist Church, January the 10th through the 11th. Uh, and then we'll be in North Carolina, January the 24th and 25th, then in uh, Pensacola, Florida at the end of January. You can find out more about that by going to the website, TonyPerkins.com. But we're all about men standing courageous spiritually in our culture, and it begins with a self-examination and personal holiness. Tony, I fully agree. And as, as, as a fellow Christian working here at FRC, I think this is a reminder to all of us to continue to, day by day, seek the Lord's power in our lives for, for what he, he calls us to accomplish many times throughout the day, walking in spiritual victory in all sorts of areas in our lives. Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, jumping in here today. Great to talk with you. Folks, great to talk with you as well. Until next time. When you've done what you can, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 